Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. doing welcome jack is uh back in the hospital a bit of a, a setback with his whole gallbladder thing uh, an infection that they have to take care of uh, i think he'll probably be fine but this is definitely not great uh, so anyway if you're the praying sort feel free to turn a prayer his direction if you're not uh root for him and uh and we will hope to have him back uh, at least uh, you know via the home studio or something on uh, on monday uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm kind of glad. Is he under yet? Can somebody check if he's under yet? I'm kind of glad the weekend is is virtually here because Jack Boy would show up with a bullet wound in his head to work. It's just it's the way he is. I mean, it's 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 admirable. It's you know, he comes from Iowa farmers and acts like it. <laughs> you know. You lose a hand in the thresher, use your other hand. Harvest still got to get in. Cows still got to get milked. You know, that sort of thing. Except when you've had surgery in your internal organs, you know, I just, I, I'm, 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 I'm concerned about him overdoing it, as they say, trying to rush back, trying to, you know, you know, well, I've said it. So anyway, um, I'm glad Saturday and Sunday are approaching because we don't do a show then and you can't make us. Uh, anyway, so uh, thank you very much for tuning in. We appreciate it. There are a handful of economic stories out that are probably worth mentioning. Oops, as I uh, uh, you know, pan my mouse over all the tabs I have have open, I have this uh, this headline: Parents wondering whether learning remotely could work as well as in school now have their answer. Did you need a study to come out? <laughs> Holy cow, what a disaster. But anyway, we'll get back to that later. Uh, so story number one from the Wall Street, no, I guess the Washington Post. 4.2 million Americans quit their jobs in October. Churn in the labor market, the great resignation, whatever you want to say. 4.2 million people, that's almost 3% of the workforce, quit in a single month. Which, if you're not particularly gifted at math, you know, if that trend were to continue, it would take roughly three years for every single man, woman, and employed child in America to quit their gig and go find another one. That's just astounding. In contrast, the the Bureau of Labor Statistics survey found 11 million job openings, only slightly down from the the record in July, says uh, an economist at Indeed. Those are the, that's the uh, job recruiting site, right? Quote, this report once again shows strong demand from employers leading to a hot labor market. The bargaining table is tilted more toward workers than it's been in the past. The question now is whether the Omicron variant cools down the labor market. It won't. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah, 4.3 million people left their jobs in August. That's just, that's mind-blowing. You know, they mentioned child and family care pressure stemming from the pandemic continue to be an issue for many people. I I have no doubt that's true. I still think the number one factor in it is just that so much of life is inertia. You do what you do, and you keep doing it because you're doing it. 
and to to throw everything up in the air and say, I'm quitting my job. I'm starting anew. I'm going to start a new life. Forget this. I'm not going to do this, whatever I'm doing anymore. People really hesitate to do that because it's, you know, it's a gamble. It's scary. And I just think the whole COVID thing is has thrown everything into an uproar and people think, what the hell? I'm going to do what I thought, you know, a year ago was was not doable. So that's economic story number one. Number two is, brace yourselves, friends. U.S. inflation hit a 39-year high of just under 7% annualized last month, the Labor Department said. Consumer demand, supply shortages continue to pressure prices. Um, These are frighteningly high inflation numbers, the likes of which we haven't seen for decades, said the chief global economist and strategist at Decision Economics, Inc., Despite the high rate, he said the main driver of inflation is a good thing, a booming economy. We have tremendous spending by consumers. A lot of people are getting hired. Demand is huge. Monetary policy remains very easy, probably too easy. And fiscal stimulus has no precedent in history. Uh, yeah, So, but here's the problem. Uh, inflation is almost always driven by money-chasing labor, in this case, and goods. It's actually it's a, it's a two-headed monster. And that looks good in the short term because it generally denotes a, a lot of growth. But then as people's spending power erodes way faster than their wages are growing, uh, it, it becomes a disaster, a political disaster and an economic. I don't want to say da- disaster. I, I don't like hyperbole. This is the age of hyperbole. Everybody's trying to scare the crap out of you all the time. But uh, it, it, it causes enormous challenges for enormous groups of people. Um, particularly working class folks are working poor and people on fixed incomes, the elderly. Uh, and so we are going to have to rein this in, but hard soon, I suspect. And what that's probably going to mean is, is, is aggressive interest rates, uh, rises rather, interest rate rises that the politicians uh, are going to go crazy. Joe Biden's going to go crazy over it. He's going to say, no, 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 we got to keep the economy booming. Um, things are very, very volatile. You know, uh, where it leads, nobody's quite sure. But you can't be setting or or nearing all-time records in people quitting their jobs and inflation. And story number three, weekly jobless claims fell to the lowest level in more than 52 years. Normally, that's a good thing. But again, you're setting records in everything. Some of them good, some of them bad, but all of them looking inflationary. Um, it's just, yeah, well, there are a couple of political issues that go way beyond the abstract kind of brainiac stuff we like to argue about sometimes. You know, your principal stuff, you're, you know, and, and it's important. It's incredibly important. I, I, it sounded like I was discounting things like, you know, uh, liberty and constitutional rights and, uh, you know, abortion policy and, and all that stuff. Um, that stuff's really important. But when you talk about government policy that's absolutely going to punch people in the stomach or it's going to, you know, at the kitchen table, mom and dad are seriously grinding their teeth over this stuff. There are two things. Crime and economic policy, specifically uh, inflation, jobs, uh, wages, and prices, um, which are all kind of tied together. So if you were to look at it purely through a political lens, you'd say, boy, the uh, uh, the riptides are ripping right now. 
and and old Joe Biden and his administration are trying desperately to keep their heads above water. Um, but with the tides this strong, washing this powerfully, the waves this big, and the rest of it, uh, one fears that uh, maybe the the, uh, the ship of state might be in some trouble. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on it. Again, don't mean to scare the crap out of you or anything like that. What What's the point? If you worry, you suffer twice. But... Um, We've mentioned a, a number of times that there seems to be little to no constituency for fiscal conservative, uh, conservative. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to read and talk at the same time. Uh, at uh, fiscal conservatism, are people interested in reigning in government spending? Are they interested in living within our means? Are they interested in in cutting down government debt, or is that just a vestige of the Rush Rush Limbaughian past? Um, and and now everybody just wants what they can get out of the cookie jar. I I think, and this is why there's such risk in making grand pronouncements about what the future is going to be like, I think if the fiscal poo hits the fan as badly as it's shaping up to, I think people's uh, awareness of and concern for fiscal sanity might come back at the point that we have 1970s-style inflation. And a lot of you remember this. When your mortgage rate... What what's a thirty year year mortgage right now? I could probably look it up, but it's is it still in the twos, the high twos, the very low threes, something like that. Um, back in the about day, three I remember, and a half, uh, about three and a half at this point. Okay, yeah, I think uh, banks and lenders are sensing that the Fed's going to do something before too long. But uh, I remember my parents' mortgage was something like eighteen percent, and a lot of them were adjustable, and they would go they would go up even higher than that. Credit card rates, forget it. I mean, they were they were confiscatory. They're horrifying. And the great concern, do you remember the WHIP Inflation Now program that the Ford administration desperately tried to get going? The 70s were just crazy. But we're beating records that go back to, you know, the, the 50s, the 60s. So, again, a little, uh, little concerned about this. What it means for politics, though, is pretty interesting. Because it, it's likely, just because of the historical you know trends, that the in-power a party gets whooped during the midterm, I mean, in Congress and the Senate, and that is highly, highly likely. But, man, it could be, speaking of historic numbers, it could be a whooping like we haven't seen in a very, very long time. And uh, here's part of the reason why. Uh, the inflation so far, and and keep in mind, last month was more than the people had felt when they were answering the survey I'm going to talk about. And I'm pretty sure this is uh, Gallup. Yeah, it's Gallup. Um how much hardship has your family suffered because of inflation, the recent price increases? You know, energy been terrible, although that's settled down at least somewhat because there's a mild winter being anticipated. Um, but how much hardship have you faced? Uh, well, if your household income is less than $40,000, uh, about 30% have had severe hardship and 42% have had moderate hardship. It actually comes out to exactly 70%. Uh, 71% have had hardship already. Now, if it's 40 to 100,000 grand, uh, $100,000 a year, uh, it's about half have had hardship. Folks who've made more money, they got a little more spending money. If bacon goes up uh, $3 a pound, they don't care as much. Uh, even that's been 30% say they're suffering some hardship. Not severe, but some. Um, no college degree. So over half of folks say they've experienced hardship. Um, from the price uh, rise. Republicans, 53%. Yeah, it's, say, yeah, it's really been rough. Independents say f- 
49% say, I've had some hardship. Democrats, only 37%. So what do you make of that? Uh, now, I have the chart in front of me, so I can go back to the numbers. I'll tell you what I make of it. The Democratic Party's abandonment of working America, working class, blue-collar, hard-working Americans, uh, black, white, Hispanic, everybody, is moving swiftly. Joe Biden and company have, uh, have sought to poo-poo the very idea that there's inflation. Now they're admitting it. They're finally off the transitory thing. But, man, you're looking at 71% of low-income households say they're experiencing severe hardship, or significant hardship, I should say. Meanwhile, the Democratic Party is all wrapped up in the woke stuff and, 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 and convincing young black children that they can never succeed. Meanwhile, moms, uh, black moms and dads who love their kids very much and want them to succeed are saying, wait a minute, why are all these woke white people with, with master's degrees using the term Latinx, which uh, Hispanic people can't stand, by the way, about 2% use it. Um, and they're lecturing us all the time and they're whipping up racial hatred. Meanwhile, I can't afford food. And, and I'm being condescended to by all of these, you know, social degree holding suburban the, the Democratic women. It, it's, it looks to me like the Democratic Party is working as hard as it can to alienate America. It's really something. You know, when do those birds come home to roost? Probably in 2022. I guess we'll find out together. Uh, a lot more good stuff, non-political, uh, some important breaking camel news is next. Armstrong and Getty. I want to talk about teacher burnout at some point this hour, maybe next hour. I uh, was talking about uh, the alleged teacher burnout and whether it might be a maneuver by the teachers unions and the number of teachers who we know and trust have weighed in. So I think you'll find their testimony interesting. Also, I had a great chat with George Will. After the show yesterday, uh, did an extra long podcast with him. We'll play you a couple excerpts of that. It's always thought-provoking uh, when George weighs in. Jack asked him an absolutely terrific question. He asked him, how would you define conservatism? And his answer was so good, I, I vowed to myself to write it down and memorize it. So that'll be next segment. Meanwhile, there is a shocking amount of camel-related news in the news uh, these days. Hit us with that Shep Smith report, Michael. Last night... The camel beauty pageant scandal in Saudi Arabia. Tonight, a wayward camel in Kansas City. Police are trying to figure out how to catch it for an entire day over the weekend. Seems it escaped from a live drive-through nativity scene. Look at that camel go! Look at it go. Camel broke free from the nativity because its harness was messed up, they tell us. Likely went searching for frankincense and myrrh. It popped by the Walgreens, galloped past the Waffle House. Campbell is free, wind whipping over its humps, gallivanting down the highway at full speed. But like all good things, the camel free ride came to an end. Cops went after it in a golf cart. Less than ideal since camels can run up to 40 miles an hour. So one of the officers abandoned the vehicle and struck out on foot, eventually lassoing the creature. Police confirming in a statement the camel was reunited with its owners and will be back to doing camel things. 
Fabulous. Uh, this is so ironic. It strikes me that uh, Jack, who is out today, is the one member of uh, the team. In fact, uh, the one person I've ever known in my freaking life who has a camel. And he's not here to discuss this. <laughs> At least he did have a camel. It was like a loner camel, <laughs> a library camel for a while. Uh, at any rate, uh, the Shepherd Smith there referenced the Saudi camel festival scandal. This is not the first time this sort of thing has happened. But Saudi authorities have, and we mentioned this very late in the show yesterday, but I thought you early risers, you, uh, you know, you go getters really need to hear this. Uh, Saudi authorities have conducted their biggest ever crackdown on camel beauty contestants that received Botox injections and other artificial touch-ups. We're talking about the King Abdulaziz Camel Festival, which evidently is a big deal in Saudi Arabia. Uh, they, they have a camel beauty pageant, which really brings to mind perversions that should not be discussed in front of uh, women, children, or men, for that matter. $66 million in prize money for beautiful camels, whatever that means. But there's so much at stake in these people. I don't, I don't know what's going on in their heads, but so they, they fill the camels' heads with Botox to make their heads bigger. They stretch their lips. How long lips should camels have? What are you doing with the camel's lips that you care how long they are? They inflate body parts with rubber bands, use filler to relax their face. Well, you don't want a, a tense-looking camel. Holy cow, that's weird, man. I realize all cultures have their own sort of beauty, and you have to appreciate it the best you can, but, man, that's just weird. Quit stretching your camel's lips. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Donuts, Daddy. You want to go get donuts? Yeah. Daddy donuts. Want to talk to donuts? Yeah. Okay. Come on. That's a little girl who really likes donuts, evidently. Her family uh, taping and putting it on the internet with jaunty music and probably selling advertising. I'm sorry, I'm officially a cynical person. Uh, Cute little kid, though. Boy, are donuts good. I love donuts. I'm powerless against donuts, so I never eat them. I almost, well, I almost, I probably eat two donuts a year. Maybe. Sometimes I just break down and do it. I am powerless against donuts. And so, if I can stand anything but temptation or withstand anything but temptation, I don't go around temptation. For a while there, to steal myself against donuts, because there are frequently donuts around the newsroom, the the radio ranch, uh, I would go up to them, I would inhale deeply of their donut aroma and take it in to train myself to be tough, to be resolute, to resist the pull, the siren song of the humble donut. And it's worked. Although, I'd eat 30 of them right now, given the opportunity. <laughs> anyway, if you're just tuning in, uh, Jack has had to have a little cleanup procedure on his gallbladder removal and is back in the hospital. Um, I think it may be going on right now because we haven't heard back from him. We were chatting with him from his hospital bed, not well, at the beginning of the show. Uh, so we'll... Uh, 
you know, we'll be rooting for him and, and bring you news on Monday. Uh, maybe you can, f- if you don't follow us on Twitter, you could do that. Uh, Twitter is a uh, uh, an unmitigated soul suck. But if you follow us, it's it's not nearly so bad. Um, and we'll bring you up to date. At any rate, uh, one thing he did do yesterday before he felt terrible was join me for a conversation on an Armstrong and Getty Extra, extra Large uh, podcast with uh, George Will, who has, I say, reaching over here, a new book out called American Happiness and Discontents. A powerful collection of reflections on American culture during the most mercurial period in recent American history. Uh, let's play a, a chunk of that conversation with George Will. We're not big fans of hyperbole, and some might think, well, the most mercurial period in recent American history. But it does seem like if uh, if a culture is a plate-spinning act, and that is a lost art, by the way, plate-spinning. But if, <laughs> if a culture is a plate-spinning act, it feels like every single plate is wobbling. It does. We now have three foreign policy crises coming to a boil over Taiwan, Ukraine, and the Iranian nuclear program. And domestically, we're spending money as though we had it, which we don't. And we're at daggers drawn over the most ridiculous, I guess, sanitizing of opinion on college campuses and all the rest. So, yes, it's a time that uh, does not make for cheerfulness this holiday. So it's not just our imagination, because my whole adult life, they've always said each election is the most important election in our nation's history. Uh, you know, that whole yeah. thing. But um, it definitely does seem, whether the universities or China on the scene or, you know, how many different, the, the defund the police, all the different things, we're in some weird territory. We are. You just expressed probably the most destructive political slogan of modern times, defund the police, almost re-elected Donald Trump, clearly has cost uh, a number of uh, House seats and gubernatorial races and all the rest. Uh, And and you do wonder about the death urge of of political parties that adopt foolish slogans like that. Well, and it's gone beyond that as long as we're talking about the Justice Department on today's radio show. By coincidence, we we talked about several of the radical left DAs, whether in L.A., San Francisco, Philadelphia, St. Louis, Chicago, the list goes on and on, who are instituting this very, very strange uh, experiment in decriminalizing crime. And the results have been just awful. Yeah, I mean, shoplifting in San Francisco is essentially a misdemeanor, if that, as long as you shoplift only up to $950 worth of merchandise from the very the declining number of Walgreens drugstores that are still open, because they keep closing them there because they can't keep products on the shelves. Well, and it goes even beyond that. Michael, I'm, I'm talking to our technical director here. I'm trying to find the clip of uh, George Gascon. Uh, there it is, clip number 34. George, I think you're going to be able to hear this. This is the DA of L.A. County. I am proud of our entire team in the L.A. County District Attorney's Office. We cannot prosecute our way out of social inequalities, income inequalities, the unhoused, the desperation that we have. Since when is that what a DA is supposed to do? That's amazing, isn't it? All kinds of institutions now are branching out to do things they're just not supposed to do. Universities don't educate, they indoctrinate. Newspapers like the New York Times decide it's their job to reframe our understanding of American history, so they come up with the 1619 Project and the preposterous idea that the American Revolution was fought 
simply to preserve slavery. I mean, it's, it's lunacy. Now, you really don't expect a newspaper to be good at American history, and you don't expect uh, universities to be good at uh, indoctrination, although they, they're doing their best to acquire enough in, uh, experience with that. But you, one does wish people would stay in their lanes, as it were, do what they're paid to do. Or the CDC deciding how long a person can go without paying their rents, for instance. <laughs> exactly. A housing policy from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It's amazing. Hey, uh, um, while we got you on the line, hit me with a definition of conservatism or conservative. <laughs> a conservative is someone who wants to conserve the American founding, which has three principal tenets. One, there is such a thing as human nature. We're not just creatures that acquire the culture we're situated in. B, Therefore, there are some natural rights, that is, rights essential for the flourishing of creatures with our natures. C, therefore, uh, right, first come rights and then comes government. So we do not get what we, rights from government. What we get from government is the protection of our rights. And so, therefore, we want a, a, a balanced government. Uh, separation of powers, not too strong a presidency, a, a, a judiciary alert to government slipping its leash so that uh, government will secure our rights. What percentage of the electorate do you guess currently uh, would accept that definition and and want to promote it? Well, it's an excellent question because the American people often are ideological conservatives but operational liberals. They talk like Jeffersonians, that government is best, that governs least and all that, but they want uh, to be governed by Hamiltonians that that will give them all the the possible benefits. It turns out, surprise, surprise, that free stuff polls well. Hmm. Right now you have the Biden administration saying we're going to give everybody free stuff, and 98.2% of the American people aren't going to have to pay for it. That is, everyone under earning under $400,000 a year. The Biden administration says we're going to pay for all this by burdening two unpopular minorities, the wealthy, and corporations. The the Biden administration clings to the fiction that corporations pay taxes. Everyone knows they don't. Corporations collect taxes. They p- pass their tax burden on to A, customers and the cost of the goods or services. B, they take it away from resources that otherwise would be available to their employees as compensation. And C, uh, from shareholders' dividends, which include, by the way, vast numbers of Americans through their pension plans that have invested in in American corporations. We would love to see, and I have a feeling you might agree, we would love to see the basics of business, the basics of economics, and the basics of civics taught in every middle school and high school in America. I think it's it's, uh, utterly unwise uh, that we don't do that, and I think we're seeing some of the effects of that absence. I wish every school child in America primary, secondary school, would be sit down and read a short essay called I, Pencil, written by Lawrence oh. Reed, uh, many years ago. Uh, the theme of which is no one can make a pencil. No one can make a pencil. Millions of people are involved in producing that yellow pencil with the uh, little rubber uh, eraser on top and the graphite in the middle. The people who mine the graphite, the lumbermen who grow the trees and and saw that, send them to the sawmills, et cetera, et cetera. The sheer complexity of a modern economy is up against the government's fatal conceit. 
the government's vanity and pride in assuming that it knows enough that it can dispense with markets. What markets are, are information gathering devices. They send signals of information to us as to what things cost and what things ought to cost. Supply, demand, and all that other stuff. Government steps in and says, no, no, we don't know, do, knew that. We, we need that. We can handle all this by, with all the clever people we have in our bureaucracies. No, they can't. And they make a dreadful mess of it. We have been talking a lot about the um, the, the various trillion-dollar spending packages that have uh, come out of Congress in the last year, year and a half, and uh, compared it to like when you're on vacation. You know, when you're on vacation, you buy stuff that you would never normally buy. <laughs> you spend money in a way you never normally would. And we're, we're kind of that way as a country now where it's like nobody remembers what a trillion dollars means or anything like that. Do you have any concern that we're we're crossing a point of no return, that you just can't get out of this kind of debt? Everybody knows that there is some point at which the ratio of publicly held debt to gross national product becomes suffocating and, and, and a huge impediment to economic growth. Now, our publicly held debt is now over 100%. It's larger than our economy. So we're going to find out where that is, and we're going to find out the hard way. The simple axiom of life is this. There are only two ways to fund a government, current taxes and future taxes. So we are piling up future taxes on the unconsenting, because unborn future generations, from which we're borrowing. Yeah, I know, and that's such an immoral thing to do. I just don't understand why more people don't get that. So amidst all of the uh, the gloom and perhaps doom we're discussing, it's uh, notable the title of your new book is American Happiness and Discontents. Where does your optimism come from when you feel it? What's positive uh, on the scene these days? Well, the first is that the, the American people have made wrong turns before, but they've corrected. Winston Churchill, who loved our country as much as he loved his American mother, once said the American people invariably do the right thing after they have exhausted all the alternatives. <laughs> so we, we, we have a way of, of making life difficult for ourselves, but no one ever got rich betting against the United States. Second, our principles are sound. Ronald Reagan once said, I don't want to go back to the past. I want to go back to the past way of facing the future. Uh, The belief in an open, market-driven society rather than a government-centered society. So I think at the end of the day, the Americans uh, have, have a national memory of the American founding principles. George Will there chatting uh, with us in Armstrong and Getty Extra Large Podcast. You can grab it at armstrongandgetty.com. Uh, we also have the uh, conversation, the extended conversation with Sam Quinones, who wrote that terrific book about uh, meth and fentanyl and, and reasons for hope in America. Um, that's also available. We did them both this week, Armstrong and Getty Extra Large. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, got a couple of interesting emails from folks about teacher burnout, um, why school districts are just utterly... Uh, being decimated by teacher resignations and, 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 and aides and janitors and the rest of it. And is it real? Is it just a maneuver by the teachers union? Uh, you know, more of the same that we've watched over the last couple of years. A couple of interesting emails from uh, teachers and a lot of good stuff to come. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty.
The Armstrong and Getty Show. Coming up, inflation has caused the price of the 12 days of Christmas to set a record. We'll bring that to you if somebody points a gun at me and makes me. Uh, otherwise, not. Who, who buys that stuff? Nobody does. This is exciting news. Uh, Jack, the co-host of the show, Jack Armstrong, joins us via telephone from the hospital. Hello again. Oh, hey. So, got a nurse coming in right now. We have something I need to do? Okay. Can I be on the phone for one minute? Okay. Case case managers here. Oh, that's good. I don't. I don't have any. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Cool. I don't, ask her if she's heard. That meant. Ask her if she's heard about the COVID thing. <laughs> oh boy, I'm in a fair amount of pain right now in the hospital. Um, did, did you have to find out what they're going to do to me? Oh, oh! So it no. hasn't been done yet. No, I don't. I don't even know if they know for sure what they're doing yet. Um, they did a lot of tests on me last night. I was in the MRI tube at twelve thirty in the morning. Uh, I did so many different tests, and I don't know. They're trying to figure out what's wrong. So, long story short, you, you had a fever all day yesterday. Uh, two days after your surgery, is that yeah, right? Yeah, the day after my surgery, I felt okay. pretty good, about like what you'd expect—a little sore, but I was fine. The second day after my surgery, I felt really crappy. And when I called uh, about the fever, they told me to come into the ER. And as soon as I got to the ER, there was lots of doctors with wide eyes. Seemed to be quite concerned about whatever's going on. I, I don't know what is going on. But hmm. I don't know if they're not telling me or I don't know. But Well, um, yeah, they, they don't want to see a fever, uh, you know, after a surgery. That's not good. Um so do you think it's because, uh, you know, they're just conscientious doctors and care for the, all their patients, or is it because you're an exciting worldwide celebrity? Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with celebrity. I don't think anybody knows oh, okay. what I do for a living. Um, uh, I just got off the phone with a doctor friend of mine who, when I told him I had a fever, he, he seemed sincerely uh, bothered by that. Post-operative fevers, I guess, are really to be avoided so yeah, um, yeah. well it's that's, good, that's good you jumped right on it i mean that's great yeah well i thought i'd just come in and they'd give me some tylenol and send me home you know look me over make sure i was okay Ooh. um so what did people do in hospitals before smartphones that's what i was wondering with a smartphone you know you got the world at your fingertips and my memory as a kid was you got the tv with whatever's on and that's it yeah, maybe a couple of channels that you often shared with a roommate. Yep, yep. When I was a kid, I always shared with like some old woman who wanted to watch soap operas. Yeah, yeah. And you usually had a phone, but uh, obviously it was just a phone. It was not a TV set, a, an encyclopedia, so, a movie screen. Uh, the, we, the, they were the dumbest phones you've ever heard of. They were moronic. Uh, please, idiot phones. <laughs> but but with my current phone, I mean, I'm reading and following the news and listening to the show and watching TV shows and movies and Netflix and whatever the hell I want to do. Excellent. Excellent. If I weren't in pain, I, this would be like a vacation. Any comments on our conversation with George Will yesterday? Um, I, he he inspired my... me to reread the eye pencil thing. 
Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, we ought to post that at armstrongandgetty.com. It's very long. I was thinking of doing like a truncated version of it for the folks, because it, it does such a brilliant uh, job of yeah. I- illustrating the insanity of central economic planning. Yeah, I've heard the Paul Krugmans of the world mock that as uh, stupid and simplistic, but I don't buy their argument. I'd like to beat Paul Krugman with both my fists. I won't, because I'm a I man like of to peace. I pencil and jab it in his eye. <laughs> Even better. Even better. I love that. Oh, man, uh, if I laugh, it really, really hurts. Okay. Oh. I'll try to go back to my usual level of barely amusing at all and uh, and see how that works for you. So do you have any, uh, any timetable or anything? You're not sure, huh? I haven't- I haven't got the slightest idea if I'm going to be out of here in an hour or I'm going to be here for days. I don't have any idea. Wow. Wow. Yeah, okay. it's, it's, uh, it's really thrown child care and everything into a, into a, uh, a t- uh, just hard to control, but whatever. whatever. Yeah, I'm sure it has. Are they pumping you full of antibiotics and stuff, as far as I you know? I think so. <clears throat> I think so. i got to get them to pump me full of that Dilaudid or whatever you call that stuff because they did that to me. In the middle of the night, and I got to sleep, but these worn off now, and now I'm not ple- it's not pleasant. All right, well, we're down to about 20 seconds. Uh, keep us up to date if you can, huh? I will. All right, all right. Good luck. We'll talk in a little bit. Uh, next hour, I will pay off the teacher burnout emails that I discussed. We'll, we'll take a look at the eye pencil um, uh, essay, which, in spite of what the idiot communist Paul Krugman thinks and who cares what he thinks, is absolutely brilliant. A lot of good stuff. Uh, stay tuned. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty.